So yeah. So I know we have considerably less people here this Sunday, but when I looked out over and I see the middle section empty like this, I feel like, oh my God, is it, is it me? Is it, is it the way I, pro- do I spit this way or, or something? So when there's room, I guess you guys, you know. Well, I, for, I just want to recognize, first of all, let's thank Mason for being here today. For uh, Mason, we, appreciate, we really appreciate you. He'll be back in a couple weeks again to lead us in worship. And by the way, he's a college student at UCSF, right? Or SF State. Ah, I always get that wrong. SF State. So anybody that has been there or do you want to talk to him about that, it'd be great. So, all right, well, let's pray and then we'll jump into God's word. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Thank you that you love us, and we thank you so much that you've given us your word, your word that speaks to our hearts. And may you do that this morning, your spirit speak to our hearts, speak in and through me. Use the words that you've given me this week as I studied um, to uh, just empower us, Father, to understand you better, Father. And we know that your spirit is the only one that can help us understand how to do that. So we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in our study in the book of Matthew, we have come to uh, chapter 13. And chapter 13 is really a unique chapter. We didn't, I didn't talk about this much last week, but chapter 13 really is this unique chapter. Did, I hope that wasn't a finger. That, that was, okay. It, because what it does is really this marks the time in Jesus' earthly ministry when he really begins to mainly teach in parables. Okay, we talked a lot about what parables are last week because we started off with the parable of the sower last week. And we saw that really one of the main reasons that Jesus began teaching in parables was really what he wanted to do was to further help the people that already had accepted his message, already were grasping his message, already wanted to pursue him. He wanted them to be able to understand more, yet he, we also learned that he told these parables in a way that really concealed the truth from people that had rejected him, that people were just coming around to just hear the, this great speaker, this wonderful orator. He was really, in a sense, blocking them because it really was the punishment for their decision to say, I don't want anything to do with you. I just want to hear what you have to say. Jesus would have nothing to do with it. So believe it or not, in chapter 13 alone, he uses seven parables that are explicitly about the kingdom of heaven. And what each one of these uh, parables does that he's talking about in this chapter give us different aspects of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've been talking a lot about the kingdom of heaven. You know, our whole series title is the upside down kingdom. That's really what Matthew is so much about, this kingdom that just makes no sense to us in our flesh, but is a very unique thing. And see, we've seen that really you can sum up. Everyone says, what's the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? And you can really sum it up, and what I've put it up on the screen there for you, is what you say is, it's the reign and the rule of God in the hearts and lives of those who submit to his authority. And basically anything that that impacts, okay? So it's really the reign and rule of God in the hearts of people that said yes to him. And all the things that happen because of that, okay? Now, along with helping us to better understand different aspects of the kingdom of heaven, these parables really, what the cool thing is, they really help answer some really pressing questions that we have as believers, but also 
that non-believers would have too. Last week, remember, we looked at the parable of the sower, and we looked at, we saw that it's helped us to ask the question, is it, why is it that so many people in this world don't seem to welcome the message of Jesus at all? Why is it that so many people want to have nothing to do with that? And we saw that answered in the parable of the sower. Well, this morning, we're going to see how Jesus uses three more parables. Okay, we're going to look at three parables today. A couple of them are really short. And really what these do is also answer some of life's pressing, pressing questions. And the one we're going to look at today is really probably one of the biggies out there. This is one of the top ones, I think. It's, it's one that I'm sure most of us, or not all of us, have either heard someone ask or we have even asked it ourselves. And the question is this, if God is such a loving God, why does he allow, why does he continue to allow so much evil and suffering in the world? Anybody ever heard someone ask that question before? Yeah. It's a biggie. Why? If God is so good, I've had that when I'm talking to God about people, they, if he's so good, look at the, why is he letting this happen? Why does he continue to allow so much evil and suffering to happen in the world? It's almost the age old question. Well, Believe it or not, Jesus answers that question. Maybe not like everybody would like him to, but he does answer that question in these three parables. And he says he wants, to, uh, he wants people to be able to understand the things like, why does he continue to allow evil people in power? Why does he allow people even power to cause people to suffer? Millions of people to suffer. Why does he continue to allow so many to suffer with destructive addictions or disabling disability? Oh, hello, debilitating. Thank you, debilitating mental illnesses that you know that can cause um, makes life so difficult for the person that's dealing with them, but also uh, for the family members. Why does he continue to allow so many children to be born with disabilities that many of them struggle with the rest of their lives? Why does he continue to allow, allow my life and your life to be impacted by the brokenness and sin of all those around? around us and within ourselves. If God is so good, so loving, so just, why doesn't he just simply step in and do something? Why doesn't he just take care of it all? Well, Jesus is going to answer this, these three parables uh, we're going to look at today. And they're also going to, and what he's going to do, here's how he's going to do it. So I want to get your head in the place where he's going here. He's going to answer this question by helping us to better understand what the kingdom of heaven is like or how it works. Okay? Very important. He wants us to see, okay, this is the kingdom of heaven. Do you even look in some of your versions to say, it'll say the kingdom of heaven is like, or you can compare this kingdom of heaven to this. So what he's trying to do is say, get your head around this. I'll answer these questions of yours, but it's going to happen in the context of understanding how the kingdom of heaven actually works. Let's just dive right on in. We're going to read the first parable that doesn't have an explanation to it. So verses uh, 24 to 30, okay, in chapter 13 of Matthew. Here we go. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? 
How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so here, here we go. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like this guy, this landowner, this farmer that goes out and he sows good seed, okay? But when he and his workers are asleep, an enemy comes along and sows weeds among this, this, the wheat. So you got to understand, the people that he was talking to would have completely understood what he was, everybody would have heard, they would have understood what he was talking about. They would have understood the specific weed that Jesus was talking about here. And now this weed was a type of weed that in the early stages of growth, it really resembled wheat. Okay, And it was also very poisonous. Actually, the Jews at that time referred to this type of wheat as bastard wheat. Because it, so it looked so much like it. Now, but because of this resemblance to the wheat, it would not have been really readily apparent until the plants began to grow and also actually they began to form ears, okay? But by then, it would be too late to remove the weeds without damaging the wheat, which had really, the root system of the wheat had become entangled with them, okay? Now, when, here's what you got to understand. Whenever you're looking at a parable, because a lot of times we look at parables and we go, I don't get it. Even the explanation doesn't help me. Well, let me give you a little hint here. When reading and interpreting parables, it's always important to look for something that stands out. Look for something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. That's not always easy to do. But like in this case, I'll just tell you what it is. In this case, what stands out is what's kind of unique here is how the farmer chooses to deal with this dilemma of the coexisting good and bad seed, the wheat and the weeds. Because instead of pulling out the weeds as soon as they noticed them, which would have been the right thing to do, as soon as they noticed, oh, let's get, let's get those out of there. That would have been a good thing and a right thing to do. He decides to wait, okay? He decides to let them grow together until the harvest time. And the, he said, the reapers will take care of it. Let's let them take care of it. Let's let them grow together, and they'll be able to separate them out instead of you guys doing it now. That's the parable. Can you imagine the head scratching that's going on? Just like last week, you know, the sower. Yeah, what is this? What is happening here? Crowd's probably going, what? he, what's going on here? He's telling us, is he telling us another agricultural story? We live in ag, ag, agriculture. We, we get this. Why is he telling us again? Because see, really only later when he's with his disciples, when they ask him to explain it, is he going to explain it? So he's done. He doesn't explain it anymore to them. And we're going to get to that in a, in a second. See, without hesitation, it seems like he just goes right into the next one. So let's look at the next one. He launches into two more parables, both really that speak of this spectacular growth that comes from seemingly smaller and insignificant beginnings. So let's look first at um, the first one in verses 31 and 32. He says, he put another parable for them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay, now, here's the thing. The point here isn't whether a mustard seed is the smallest seed that exists. Okay, that's not the point here. People get an argument. Well, there, there are there probably there are smaller seeds at this time. This was a great example back then. The point is here that the mustard seed represents anything that is extremely minute in its beginning. Okay, something that starts off really small, although very small. What he's saying here: there's this mustard seed grows and grows until it becomes a tree, a tree that's big enough to be able that the birds of the air can rest in it. So he's using really an exaggeration here to help them understand. See how small? But look what it can accomplish. Okay, that's what this, this parable is meant to teach, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, or this is what the, how the kingdom of heaven works. Just a small mustard seed, just as a small mustard seed grows into a tree that birds can come and they can inhabit and they can have their nest in, so too the kingdom of heaven begins very small, but it continues to grow into the, what he's getting there, probably get their picture in their head is it grows to the point of where many nations can be a part of it. That's what he's trying to say here. I mean, think about how small and unimpressive God's inauguration of the kingdom of heaven, the ability for men and women to have a relationship with God, how small it was. Think about it. It began with what? A baby. <laughs> a baby in a manger born to peasants. The kingdom of God. That's how it started. Okay? How about the early church? Think about how the early church. Did it start with uh, Jesus came back from the dead and all of a sudden thousands and thousands of people were, we're in and just, you know, let this, let this get charged rocking. We're taking over the government, everything. No. Not by the way at all. It was this group of ragtag men and women that, you know, there was a prostitute in there. There was all, all sorts of people in there. And it started off really small with people that nobody would consider prominent people in society. Yet the kingdom of heaven, this God's reign and rule in the hearts and lives of those who submit to his authority. Think about the other kingdoms that have been around in the world that are gone. We can go visit their ruins. You can go see their castles. You can go see the portraits. My wife and I were just in Europe on our vacation, and you see all these different past grand things that were not, are now flooded with who? Tourists. All gone. The kingdom, kingdoms are totally gone. But the kingdom of heaven still exists. It has grown and it's outlasted all these ama so-called amazing kingdom. What started to be small and insignificant, insignificant has and will continue to have significant influence on individuals and on entire societies. See, we may feel like we're small, and we don't have much of an influence for the kingdom. We think, oh, I know who has influence for the kingdom. It's those guys that get up and preach. It's those guys that are on the radio. It's the guys that have killer voices that can help lead us. And those guys have an impact on the kingdom because there's biggerness to that. No, no, no. 
He's trying us to get away from that. He's trying to get away from seeing that. Or we even think that the kingdom of heaven, it's not having much of an influence on society. We think, man, what's going on with society? The kingdom of heaven doesn't look like it's, anything's, anything's happening. If anything, it looks like it's going the opposite direction. Sometimes we feel that in our own lives. We think, I've been a Christian for so long. Look what I'm still dealing with. Look what I, 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 Heck, I've gone backwards. What he's trying to tell us here is this parable teaches that we can embrace our faith with the confidence that despite how small, despite how things appear, the kingdom of heaven is still having an influence. It still is working. It's working in us as followers. It's working in societies. That's what this parable is saying. Don't look for the big. Don't always be looking for the big wow that's happening that God is doing. We always think, oh, God is definitely working because that church has thousands and thousands of people. This church, our church is, oh, we must not be having much of an influence. He's saying no. He's saying no. Small's good. Not saying big is bad, but small is good when we think about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's what he's saying here. Now, while this parable emphasizes smallness and the smallness of the kingdom, this next parable, which is only one verse, emphasizes the hiddenness of the kingdom. Look at verse 33. He says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, or in some of yours uh, it says yeast, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. See, what Jesus is saying here is that just as leaven or yeast that is hidden in the flour that causes the bread to rise, so too the kingdom of heaven in all its splendor and all its power and amazingness, it's, when it, it seems like it's hidden, it seems like not a lot is happening in this world is actually having a dramatic influence on individuals and in society. Isn't it so easy to get discouraged about the lack of the acceptance of the gospel message and people thinking about Jesus and letting them have control, even in the church, having control of their lives? He's saying, listen, the God, here's how the, the kingdom of heaven works. It's hidden, okay? Purposely, it's hidden, but it's having, just like in that lump, of dough. It's having an impact. Do not be discouraged. But I accepted Christ so long ago. It doesn't see. It's in there. It's in there. And the kingdom of heaven longs to continue to expand in your life. The reality is here, and here's the other reality that some of us really have a hard time is with, and I've learned this over my life especially, God works really slow. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like God's got one timetable? Slow. It just sure seems like that a lot. It seems like, it, man, things just churn. They go so slow. Because really, rare are these mass revivals, right? Rare are these, you know, I, we planted a church, you know, three weeks ago, and we're at thousands, especially in the Bay Area, for crying out loud. We just don't, we just don't see that kind of thing. Yet sometimes, though, just as if you watch a, a lump of dough because the yeast is in it, you see it rise a little bit. Sometimes we do see the work of God around us. Sometimes we do see great things happening. Here's the point. The point is that the power of God is always working, whether we can see it or not. That's the point. It's always working. Even though we feel like it's things are going backwards, the power of God's always working. It's hidden in there, okay? 
So with these two parables, Jesus is saying that although the kingdom of heaven, this rule and this reign of Christ in human hearts, maybe it seems small or maybe it seems hidden and not having the the far-reaching effects that we'd like it to see, the truth is that God is at work and he's saying he will continue to work until the end of the age. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. You know, this should be a tremendous encouragement to those of us that are followers of Jesus and that have been planted here, that have been planted in the Bay Area, in the coastal areas around here. Basically, this spiritual wasteland full of weeds, full of weeds. I mean, it just feels like sometimes choking amount of weeds. But this should be an encouragement to us that we may be small, we may be hidden, we may be outnumbered as believers, but we can trust that the message of the kingdom will take root and will have an impact. I'm a pastor, and you know, one of the, I was telling someone the other day, you know what's the number one question that pastors ask, ask each other at pastors' conferences? What's that? How big is your church? Yep. Number one question. Because that's how we measure success, right? That's how, and understandably, there's a lot of people coming to your church. Probably God is doing some great things. But then it's easy to go, oh, we have, what, 50-something people here? God must not be working as hard here. Or we must not be letting the kingdom of God have an impact here as much. You see how this is upside down kingdom? This is an upside down kingdom. God is at work in the Bay Area. God is at work in Pacifica. God is at work in Coastside Community Church. Okay? We got weeds. Even in the church, we got weeds. Okay? But God is at work and will continue to do so. Despite how it may appear, the kingdom of heaven is at work and will ultimately triumph. Now, as last week, um, this week, Matthew, just like he did last week, Jesus did, Matthew this time is going to kind of clarify just really why. Why is he teaching in parables? I already talked about it a little bit, so let me just read it. It says uh, in verse 34 and 35, he says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden uh, since the foundation of the world. In essence, what he's saying here is that in these verses that just like, because this, this is from Psalms, just like the Israelites rejected God and the psalmist is talking about how God showed his incredible love and they still hardened themselves to him and hardened themselves to a voice. Just like that happened then, it's going to happen now. Those who reject Jesus and his message are going to become hardened to the truth. And they're not going to want to hear it and understand it. Yet for those that truly seek it, that truly want it, and want to submit themselves to him. Remember we talked about last week, he unlocks the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom that are just amazing, that we never knew before. And our lives can be radically changed. All right, now we're coming to Jesus' explanation. Now he's going to let his disciples and us Pull back the curtain here and understand what he was actually talking about, okay? So let's, look at, let's first look at verses 36 through 39. He says this, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, 
And his disciples came to him saying, please explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Okay, so Jesus first begins here just kind of explaining each of the features of this story. And unlike the parable of the sower where really we didn't know who the sower was, it was left unidentified, this time he says that Jesus, he identifies it as himself. He says, the sower is the son of man. This was a a term that he used to describe himself. So the sower is Jesus. The good seed are all those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Those who are, like we talked about last week, good soil. Those who have gladly accepted and embraced Jesus as Lord and King. The weeds are all those who've rejected Jesus and speak evil of the kingdom, of the message of the kingdom. The enemy who sows the seed, the weed is the devil. Really what this is, is uh, a picture of the devil spitefully, as a spiteful enemy trying to uh, just dethrone or just take, just ruin everything that God has done and dethrone him from people's lives. Um, And so then he says the harvest, he says the harvest is the end of the age, which refers to the day really when mankind is going to stand before God, the throne of God. This is what we call the great judgment day. Okay. Now the harvest is the the reapers are the angels. He said, these are angels. And really what these are, these are the ones that are going to have a role in really implementing God's judgment. So here's the deal. What Jesus is saying here is that just as just as there's a mixture of both good and bad seed in this scenario, just like they're both there in the world, in where we live, there's going to be this mixture. There's also a mixture of good and bad, suffering and evil, along with God moving and working in the lives of people and societies. What he's saying is for now, as difficult as it is, both good and evil coexist in the world. But he says, the Lord has a plan. He says, let them, back in verse 30, remember, let them grow together when? Until when? Until the harvest. What are you saying here? In a sense, don't worry about it. I've got a plan. I've got my own plan for handling all this evil and this suffering. In the meantime, here's what I want you to do. Grow and thrive where you are planted. Grow and thrive where you are planted. Do your part in combating evil in your own heart and in the world. He's not saying don't do anything to help at all. But he says, don't let that be the main focus. Don't let that be the rallying cry. We're going to get rid of evil in this world. We're going to get rid of all this bad stuff. He's saying, okay, do your part in some of that, but that's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. We're supposed to focus on our growth in the Lord. He will take care of things. He said, it's going to be together, but I got a plan. Don't worry about it. 
Now, now that Jesus, he goes on here giving further meaning to this parable and what he says in helping us understand the kingdom and what he says in the remaining verses here. Look what he says in verse 40. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will, gather out, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what Jesus is saying here is at the end of the age or at the, at the end of time, two significant things are going to happen, okay? The first one is that everything or everybody that causes sin, that breaks God's law, that does evil will be gathered up and it says will be thrown into the fire, now, this is, this is biblical imagery. It's not necessarily saying there's going to be a, a literal, literal furnace that people are going to be thrown into. This is biblical imagery for torment and sorrow of those who belong to the evil one. We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll probably get to that later when we, start, when we talk more about what hell, what that, what that really is. But here, it's, just, it's an image of suffering, okay? Now, I, here, here's the thing. Even as I'm saying that, I know that the subject of God's judgment is, is, is really far from a popular topic. Yeah, I know that. People don't love to talk about God's judgment. Yet the truth is that we love judgment. We love when judgment brings about justice. We love that. No, I mean, nobody complains when a thief or a murderer is punished for breaking the law. We want that to happen. Yet when that happens... When God talks about punishing people, when God talks about people having to pay the price for evil and breaking his law, it seems unloving. And the interesting thing is, though, he, his laws are perfect laws. Ours are man's laws. His are perfect. So it's easy for us to get confluted in this thing and confused in this. So we've got to remember that God is a loving and perfect God. When you think of things like hell and you think about judgment, the first place your mind needs to go is not... Ooh, what might that look like? Is it look like this? How painful? How long is it going to take? Is it going to be just a split second? Is it annihilation? What is it? No. First place our brains need to go is God is a good and loving God, and anything that he decides to do will go along with that, with his character. He does not act out of his character. He doesn't allow things out of his character. So judgment fits within the character of a good, loving, just, perfect God. So we need, to, we need to remember that. The truth is that we all long for a world where true justice reigns. And the reality is that Jesus, the ultimate perfect judge, is going to judge the world by his righteous standard. Now, we might be thinking, great, that's awesome. I love the fact that he's going to do that. Why is he waiting? <laughs> Can he just get with the program? Can he just do it? You ever thought about that? You ever said to yourself when things are just swirling around crazy and you throw that thing out to yourself, you think, God, just, just come now. I've been there. I've been there when just things are chaotic in my life or so difficult. I thought, let's just do the judgment day right now. Let's just take care of it. Enough of this insanity. This is just crazy. Life is just so 
hard. Why won't he get with it? This world is out of control. There's so much evil in this world. I want him to stop it now. Well, it's interesting. This is not a, a question just for our, our day and our culture, that even back in the day of the apostles, people were actually asking this very, these very same questions. I mean, think about it. If you know your history at all, things were pretty darn grim for the early Christians. It was pretty difficult for them. The Roman Empire was a cruel and barbaric empire, and Christians were becoming more and more a target of their cruelty. I mean, we have no idea what, that, what that's like. I mean, these guys, back in the day, they were longing for God to right the wrongs of the world. Remember, before even Jesus even came, the Jews expected Jesus to be a what? A warrior and just take down the Roman Empire. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. That's why so many people said that can't be him. These people back in the early church were longing for the fullness of the kingdom. Can we just have it all that, all that good stuff you're talking about? Can we have it now? Look what the apostle Peter said. Look what he, his response to that question. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And get this, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's huge. You see, that's the day of, of judgment when all will be made right. It's coming. That day is coming. We're promised in the scriptures here. But for now, as God slowly unveils his kingdom over time, as it grows slowly, God's, God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world will coexist together. It's just the way it is. It's the way he designed it. It's going to happen that way. While God grows his kingdom, the devil is also sowing evil, okay, in order to thwart God's world, God's work. He's doing that in the world. Those things will exist. It's that one reason that is so wonderful. This is just one of the reasons that God seems to slowly unveil his kingdom and allow it to coexist with the kingdom of this world is because he's still sowing seeds. He's asking us to keep sowing seeds. So if someone wants to tell you that makes no sense, God looks sure like a vengeful, hateful God, well, hold on. He's holding back for now, slowly, patiently, so that more and more people can come to know him. He's continually offering that gift of salvation to people. St. Augustine wrote this. I love this. Those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. We got to remember that. We need to remember those that are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Now, the second thing, the significant thing that he talks about that's going to happen at the end of the age is that the righteous, I love this words he says there, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Wow. This means that those who are those of us that are true followers of Jesus, we will shine in the end. We're going to reflect the glory of our heavenly Father as we are delivered from this evil and from sin. I know it's hard to imagine. It's hard to wrap our heads around what it would look like to reflect 
the very glory of God the Father. That is amazing. That is an amazing thing to look forward to. Look what 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and when we will be, and when, when what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, what? We shall be like him because we will see him as he is. As amazing, when you sing those worship songs about how awesome God is, how amazing he is, and how just inconceivably wonderful he is, we will reflect that glory. We will be sharing in it in a deeper and perfect way that we can't even possibly come close to now. What an amazing, amazing thing. The truth is, truth of God's impending judgment of evil really gives hope to believers that one day all will be made right and we will shine like the sun. Take your sunglasses off on a sunny day and look into the sun. Please don't do that. That is, is that an amazing, like, whoa, that's nothing, nothing compared to what it's going to be like when we are with him and sin and all that is gone. So what a great, and it gives us hope that one day we'll be made like that. But here's the thing, for the unbeliever, this information serves really, people think of as bad news. You know what? This message really is a gracious warning, and it's an invitation to repent while you still can and give your life to Jesus. That's why we should be motivated to share our faith with others. Oh, I'll get to it. Oh, it, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like the right time. I'm not sure, you know, let me get some more training in that and get, grow up in that area of my life. People are dying and people are getting deeper into what we talked about last week about their hearts getting harder and harder and harder as they hear the truth and say, uh-uh. This should encourage us to say, yes, there's an amazing thing waiting, and I want more people. I want to have more people. I want those that are reflecting the glory of God to just the just mountains of people. And that's where we have our role in that. Now, Jesus concludes here. He finishes up here. You saw this last little thing. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says this a lot, by the way, in the Bible. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's basically saying here is, you guys, take heart. I'm, telling, I'm giving you the information here. Take heart at the meaning of this parable. Really understand it. He's saying, be patient. Be patient. The kingdom of heaven is always at work in you and in this world. Whether you can see it or not, just grow where you're planted. He's saying, he's saying, be warned. Be warned. Judgment is coming. He's saying, do you know me? Are you making me known to others out there that God is giving this loving chance as he waits, or as they say, as he tarries and doesn't come? giving us time to share and giving others time to repent. He's saying, be hopeful. We are promised that one day all will be made right. All the things we struggle with, all that pain, all that sorrow, all the body stuff that we deal with, that's going to be done with. And he's saying, be encouraged. Your steps, your small steps of faith 
They are making a difference. Remember, despite how it may appear, what Jesus is telling us here is that the kingdom is, of heaven is at work in our own lives and in society and will ultimately triumph. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word both encourages us and challenges us. And I know, God, for me, to, it's easy to sit back and go, oh, wow, look what I get to have at the end. And this, this does make it a little, little, little easier to handle. But God, help us to have a bigger, a bigger view than that. Help us to have a, a kingdom view. I pray for all of us in this room that we would see things as we are hearing about what the kingdom really looks like, how it works, that you would give us a heart to have pure hearts of our own, to see ourselves and others like you do, to have the courage to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those out there. We thank you. <laughs> I'm just thinking right now, I am a part of the kingdom of heaven. As we're praying, I just want you to think about it. Just keep your eyes closed. I want you to ponder that just for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Wow, that is amazing. Thank you, Jesus.